0: of Abraham a member of the tribe of Benjamin. So Paul asks the question, Is has he abandoned his people? Has he rejected his people? And the answer to that question, has he rejected his people? The answer is no, he has not. No, he has not rejected his people. No, he has not abandoned them. He is faithful. Even the way the question is framed begs a negative response. In the Greek, the question kind of reads more like this. God hasn't abandoned his people, has he? By no means. That's the way it's phrased. Paul wants to show very clearly, with boldness, with confidence, that God is faithful. He has not rejected his people. And he continues, he says, For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. What's his point? Why is he doing this? Basically, what he's doing is showing his credentials. He says three things all meaning the same thing. I'm an Israelite. I'm a descendant of Abraham. Thing. And then, little more specifically, I'm a member of the tribe of Benjamin. These are all—it's kind of like showing multiple forms of identification, right? To go into for some important document, they want to show multiple forms of identification. He is reiterating three different ways: this is who I am. And his point is this: right? It's kind of for those of you, those of you logic classes. The point is this: it's kind of like an A, B, C. The question is: has God faith into His people? Has He rejected His people? Point point A is, God has not rejected Paul. He is saying, here I am, faithful to the Lord. God has not rejected me. A. B. I'm an Israelite. So C. Ergo, God has not rejected all of Israel. It's a point that he's trying to make because he wants to highlight the importance of this this, uh, question. And the answer that God is faithful, he has not abandoned Israel his people. Then he moves on. So first of all, he kind of gives us a little logical uh, evidence for God's faithfulness, but then he moves on to show an example, Elijah. Starting in verse 2, do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets, they have demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. So the background here is, if you may or may not remember, Elijah is an Old Testament prophet, he is faithful to God. He lived in a time where very few others were faithful to God. King Ahab and Queen Jezebel ruled the land, and they led the entire land of Israel, God's people, the whole land of Israel, in apostasy. They were worshiping the Baals. They were killing the prophets of God. They were destroying God's altars. Elijah confronted Ahab and Jezebel time and time again until finally he said, hey, let's have a test. Let's lay down the gauntlet which god is true, Baal or Yahweh, the god of Israel. And he says, uh, let's come up with a test. We're all going to go up to Mount Carmel, and there's going to be two altars, and you gather as many prophets of Baal as you want to, so they gather 450 prophets of Baal. They said, alright, you get an animal, ready on the altar, but don't, don't light the fire. Because right? that would be the common practice, right? Kill an animal, put it on the altar, light the fire. And that's an aroma that goes up to pleasing to the, the Lord, or in this case, Baal. Don't light it. I'll do the same. All right? I've got my altar over here with an animal killed, not lit. And then he says, whoever the Lord answers with fire, we will all know to be the God. So the, the prophets of Baal, they start praying to God. They, they are Baal. It's their turn first. The prophets of Baal start praying to Baal. They start praying, nothing happens. So then they start praying a little louder nothing happened. They start shouting, nothing happened. They start dancing around for hours, nothing happened. Finally, they start actually cutting themselves as an attempt to get Baal's response. Nothing happened. Elijah starts taunting them, even. And he says, alright, you know what? You're done. You're embarrassing yourself, let me go. So he starts. and he prays to the Lord. This beautiful prayer. Let's see if I can read it. Um, answer, O Lord, Elijah says, answer me. That's this people may know you, O oh Lord our God, and that you have turned their hearts back. And then it says, The fire of the Lord fell and consumed the altar and the wood and the stones and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. This really cool story It shows the power of God and his might and his ability to turn hearts back to him, even in the context of apostasy story stop there. You see, it actually gets worse for Elijah. You think, this is wonderful. He is, he is the man, right? He has shown up for prophets. But Jezebel's not too happy about that. She is angry. He, not only has he showed up Baal, he has killed the prophets, and he said, and she says, she, she swears in front of everyone. She says, as you've done the prophets, so I will do to you by the end of the day is promised publicly that you will die Elijah. I am going to have to bed. So Elijah flees. He runs to the wilderness and despite this victory, despite what he has just done, he runs to the wilderness and he is depressed. He is completely broken. In fact, the Lord comes to him to comfort him and he says, Lord, just kill me. Kill me. I, I can't bear it. The Lord doesn't kill him. He actually gives him some food. Comforts him. Comes again Lord, they have killed your prophets, they have demolished your altars, and I alone the left, and they seek my life. Now, maybe Elijah's being whiny, but at the same time, I mean, he's got a legitimate right. Right? They're coming after him. They're trying to kill him. He's, a, well, as far as he knows, I mean, he was the one faithful servant to God. up on Mount Carmel. and There's 450 prophets of Baal. He was the one guy up there says, God, I'm alone. They're trying to kill me. And by the way, everyone has rejected you. They have torn down your altars, which was an act of intentionality. It was kind of smiting. God got him in his face, tearing down the altars. I was driving down the road one day, and I um, <coughs> pulled up behind a car. They had a lot of bumper stickers. Anytime I'd see a car with a lot of bumper stickers, you know, a curious man, it became real clear that this person wasn't a big fan of Christianity. There was a lot of, kind of anti-Christian bumper stickers on there, which, hey, I mean, she can, you know, he or she can, you Put that stuff out there, no problem. But, but there's one bumper sticker that wrote, pagan and proud. <laughs> that was sticker, but pagan and proud. Which again, thankfully, we live in a free country. We can say that stuff. That's what Israel was saying, but they were God's chosen people. Right? So the people of Israel who were called into the loving embrace of Yahweh, they were, by tearing down the altar, saying, pagan and proud. They rejected God. And this is where Elijah is. question is, great? Christian. is God faithful? Has he rejected his people? Paul cites this to make a point. He said, hey, when you look around, he's encouraging his own readers, look around, who do you see? How much faithfulness in Israel do you see? The answer is not much. He says, yeah, but remember Elijah. Because what was God's response to Elijah? God's response was this, Elijah, I have kept for myself 7,000 men have not turned the knee to Baal. There's a faithfulness that God manifested even at the dark time before the dark nights of the soul for Elijah and the dark nights of the soul for Israel and the nation, yet God even there said, I am faithful. I have protected a remnant, a small remainder of loyal faithfulness. The the question is this, and this is is somewhat academic, we're going to jump ahead to implications, but, but at least understand Paul's logic, right? He is saying this. The question is, is God faithful to his people Israel? The answer is yes. How do we know? Well, I'm an Israelite, first of all, Paul says. But secondly, remember Elijah. Elijah was crestfallen. He was in utter despair because he looked around and he saw that none of the Israelites were worshiping the Lord. Hence, Yahweh. God's answer was, you don't see the whole story, Elijah. You don't see the whole story. I do have people left, and I have not abandoned them. There is a faithful remnant, and Paul says in verse 5, so to today, there is a remnant chosen by grace. Back to Paul's question, is God faithful, has he rejected his people? The answer is, yes, he's faithful, no, he has not rejected there is a remnant of Jews at Paul's day that is faithful to the Lord, and there will be more, he goes on later in the chapter, who will one day accept Christ. So the question to this ultimate, the answer to this ultimate question, is God faithful? The answer is yes. So what? God is faithful. The first implication we see is that we have a faithful God, which is so important, and, and this is something that I, I want you to consider. In your life, there are many times in which you look around you, and you're not going to see evidences of God's faithfulness. Many times, when you look at your job situation, and you ask the question, where is God? You look at your family situation, you ask the question, where is God? You look at your marriage, and you say, where is God? You look at your health. How could God possibly be faithful to me? <laughs> Paul is saying, hey, when you look around, you're not going otherwise, would suggest that he's abandoned you. Would suggest that he does not have a good plan for you. Paul says he, even then, is faithful. The problem's not with God. The problem's not even with your situation. The problem is with your ability to see how God is working all things together for good. God is faithful even when it looks like he is not. Consider the worst event Christ being be crucified, dead on the cross. See, you and I ask, God, have you forsaken me? We ask that because we feel it, even though it's not true. We ask God, how could you do this? You have abandoned me, even when it is not true. Christ on the cross, he cried out for have to be forsaken about the Lord. You see, as Paul lays out in Romans so clearly, sin does threaten to separate us from God. In fact, sin does. It doesn't just threaten. It separates us from God. It keeps us from a holy God. Turning away from God keeps us away from Him. We are separated. And so God in His mercy sends Christ to come and do all the things that we can't do. Keeping the all perfectly and then at the end of His life, die a death Where God does turn away, and he removes his faithfulness for a moment, Christ on the cross. So that you and I could experience Christ, God's faithfulness. God turns away from Christ so that he doesn't have to turn away from us. God is faithful. And whenever you doubt it, consider Christ on the cross. Secondly, we have a gracious Romans 11, 5-6 says this, So too at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Grace, a gift given which is the opposite of what is deserved. You and I, we are, we are the children who have turned away from God. Right In that example, we are the disobedient, contrary children who have rebelled deserves God's wrath. That deserves God's punishment. It deserves hell. The opposite of that is what God gives us in Christ. If we are trusting in Christ, if we are clothed in Christ, then even though we are children naturally we are enemies of God, For the sake of your distaste and discomfort with this doctrine, to miss the beauty of it. And the beauty of predestination, the beauty of God choosing is this. From the Bible standpoint, not a single one of us would ever choose God. And so if God doesn't exercise his power, his initiative to come and choose us, then we all go to hell. When the Bible talks about choosing and being elected. Some are saved because God chooses them, and that is a glorious thing. It's beautiful. Because if it rested in us, if it, if, it, if it all came down to whether or not you would choose God, whether or not you would be good enough for God, whether or not you would exercise the faith needed to become a Christian, no one would choose God. But God's gracious, He is powerful enough. He is faithful and compassionate enough to come to us despite the fact that we have turned away. And he calls us effectively to him, changes our hearts, and unites us to Christ. Because our hope is not in ourselves. And that's what grace shows us. That in life, in salvation, in death, in all things in this world, our hope is by, we find hope by looking outside of ourselves. Not to our strength, but to the strength of the Lord. Not to our ability to control situations, but the fact that God has control over all things. When you're struggling in your situations, look outside of yourself to what God has done throughout history and this beautiful story that He's weaving. Through His power, through His faithfulness, through His presence with us. We have a, a faithful God, we have a gracious God, we also have a holy God. This is the last implication of this. Consider this, verse 4. Writing about the faithful remnant, Paul says this. I have kept for myself seven thousand men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too at the present time there is a remnant chosen by grace. What does Paul say about the remnant? He says they have not bowed the knee to Baal. You see, God is a God who is gracious, he is faithful, and he is holy. he's majestic. he's a king. He is pure. He is righteous. And he deserves a worship. He is worthy of our praise. No other God is willing to come down and die for his followers. No other God is willing to be faithful when his followers are faithless. No other God is so deserving of our worship. No other God deserves us to bow down our knees. Yet the temptations for us, they abound. How many bales are there out there for us? Calling us, luring us in to worship. We're not saved by works. Paul is so evident about he's so that's so important to him that he repeats it twice. We are saved only by grace through faith alone. That is it. And those who are brought into the family of God by grace through faith, they are changed. God changes their hearts, their desires, their love. So they are willing and able, however imperfectly, to worship God, worship that's our challenge today. We know we have a faithful God, and so have a bold trust in Him. In the the face of your circumstances that suggest otherwise, trust in the Lord. We have a gracious God, so look to Him, not to yourselves, for salvation and for hope in life. We have a holy God. So let's lay down the sin that so easily entangles and look offered the second of faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you.